This is exactly right. First of all, it's not even starting with being able to regulate. It's starting to be be able to understand your sensations and how, you know, what that pit in your stomach really is. Is that hunger? Is that you need to go to the bathroom or is that anxiety? What is that? And then you have to relate that to an emotion and then you can um, relate it to if you need to do something about it in that situation to be able to meet your goals, which might be a social goal. It might be an academic goal. It might be something else. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. It is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting and with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is Make Social and Emotional Learning Stick. And I'm excited to introduce you, to reintroduce you to my friend and colleague, Elizabeth Sauter. Elizabeth is a speech and language pathologist, author, blogger, and presenter specializing in social and emotional learning for preschoolers to adults and their families for over 25 years. She's the founder of Make Social Learning Stick, which provides consultation, training, and resources to help children, teens, and families build skills, practice tools for social, emotional, and executive functioning skills. She's also the co-owner of Communication Works, which provides speech therapy to schools in California. She's completed a mentorship and internship with Michelle Garcia Winner, Stephanie Madrigal, and Pam Crook, and has co-authored two popular books with Whole Body Listening called Whole Body Listening Larry at Home and Whole Body Listening Larry at School. She's also the author of Make Learning, Make Social Learning Stick. And today we're talking about her new and improved second edition called Make Social and Emotional Learning Stick. She's also a Zones of Regulation collaborative trainer. She has two teenage sons a sister and a cousin, all with additional needs related to social communication, self-regulation, and executive functioning challenges with make her work, not just work, it's her life endeavor. Elizabeth, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Dan. It's great to be here. So I was looking back, I actually couldn't believe this. I was looking back at our first show and it was episode number six in 2016. And I was just, I can't believe it's been four years. (laughs) I know it's insane, right? Time flies, and I yeah. I yes, to... and so okay. So I guess my, the first thing I was thinking about, know, knowing um, all the work that you've been doing, and just and you and I share our personal life uh, challenges and journeys and adventures as well. Um, what 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 have you learned in the last four years since we talked? What what's changed? What new awarenesses have you had? Yeah, a lot has happened in my past four or five years. Um, my um, The main one is that my older son has been diagnosed with ADHD, learning disabilities, and anxiety, I think probably right around the time that we spoke. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so that's just been a journey in itself with figuring out his strengths and areas of challenges and getting him the support that he needs and helping him advocate and, and all of that fun stuff. Um, over the past few years, my younger son has actually unfolded into, um, well, it's, he's shown more challenges with emotional regulation. He always ran a little bit anxious, but um, we were so focused on my older son that I didn't even really realize how complex it was. And so there's been some testing and realization and that's unfolded into some um, pretty intense anxiety and also some discrepancy with verbal and nonverbal um, language and IQ. And so we're just sort of working on that. And, um, but for me, pers- professionally, I have, you know, from all of this, I've, mm-hmm. I've had to do a ton of work on myself and self-care has been first and foremost. And um, so I've been um, doing a lot of mindfulness, not only for myself, but for my clients and my family. Um, and I have put a lot of my work and experiences um, into an online course, Make It Stick Parenting, with another school psychologist. Well, not another. I'm a speech pathologist, but she's another therapist, and she's a school uh, psychologist, Dr. Rebecca Brandstetter. So we put our work into an online course and community. So I've been focusing a lot on supporting other parents going through similar things. And then along the way, I realized that my book needed to be updated and I had more <laughs> ideas for um, some cards. And so I have the cards actually were something that I've been working on for a few years now. And I um, thought, oh, I'll make a guidebook for the cards. And then I said, no, the book needs to really be updated. So there's new cards and a new book and a course and two kids with complex needs. And yes, bring <laughs> it on. Bring <laughs> it on. And you've uh, prior to COVID were traveling all over the place giving talks on top of it. Yeah, so I um, yeah I present a lot on make social and emotional learning stick, and um, I'm a zones of regulation collaborative trainer, so I do that as well. So it's been a journey, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and you know it is. Gosh, it's like what comes first, like our our drive to do this work, um, or our kids driving us to do this work, and usually it seems like there's this intersection that seems to happen, and and our our own challenges and struggles along the way and learning from our kids just only enhances the work that we do with our communities. A hundred percent. I, you know, I, you know, I grew up with a sister with who's development delayed. So that's, and she's two years older than I am. So I have that reference as, you know, always knowing that I wanted to help others. I had OT equipment in my basement and, you know, sat in a lot of waiting rooms. And so I, and I wanted to be either a teacher or a nurse helping others. And then I learned about the field of speech and language pathology. And so I'm like, oh, that's it. And then I learned about autism. I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. My sister's not autistic, but she's definitely very delayed. And um, so I had that reference, but, and so I had that, you know, understanding as supporting parents when I started my work. But then when I had my own kids with challenges, it was a whole nother level of, whoa, this is so much more intense than, you know, we even really can imagine for what parents are navigating. Mm -hmm. And so I say a lot of times, like, you know, I live it and I feel like I need to give it. And so even though it can be overwhelming, it's sort of therapeutic to connect with other parents that are struggling in these ways as well. And also just to see things in different ways, you know, have a mindset of 
um, building on strengths and loving our children for who they are and what is, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it is what it is. And we have, they're great. And my kids are going to be amazing. They just need to get through this thing called school and this exactly. thing called adolescence and, and teenagers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and don't you feel so much more effective with your clients delivering the same skills than you do with your kids? Like, don't you need that feedback? <laughs> well, I mean, it is more effective because yeah. my kids don't. So that's why I hire other people to work exactly. with my kids. And so I, I feel sort of sorry sometimes for the people. It's actually either it's a good fit or sometimes I've had some therapists that are like, okay, this isn't going to work, lady. Like, you're too much. But like, if we can collaborate together and I can mm-hmm. share, hey, this is a great resource. Can you show it to my son? Totally. <laughs> totally. Know? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's wonderful. And this is what I'm doing. What do you think? And we can go back and forth. And some are like, lady, you're too much. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving on, which I get it. <laughs> so, okay. So the first book, Make Social Learning Stick, it's now the new book, the, the, the this new, latest and greatest edition. And, and everyone, first of all, I want to let you know that we're going to, we'll talk at the end of the show where you can learn more about um, Elizabeth's, her online training and all of her resources because they're wonderful. Um, I know firsthand, I was uh, privileged to be one of the reviewers of this new edition and it is awesome. And I was wanting, so I was wanting you to tell everyone, you added emotional to this book. It's not just make social learning stick, it's social and emotional. Tell us about that 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 addition, that transformation in the in the um, expanse of the work. So realistically, it's it's the title that I changed because the book had emotional um, you know intelligence and um, you know, I added a lot of mindfulness activities because that's mm-hmm. what I've been trained on since I started the first edition. But honestly, if I could put in the title, make emotional executive function, pragmatic language, all of it learning stick, I mm-hmm. would, but the, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you can't put too much in a title, but I really felt like the emotional piece was so important because social emotional learning go hand in hand. And, um, you know, you really, I, this is what I train on a lot. Like we talk about social skills, but you know, if a child is not regulated, not able to manage their emotions or understand emotions in others, then they're not going to be able to be successful socially. And also social situations affect emotional, your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they go hand in hand and I just felt like it needed to be really called out on the title. And, um, you know, we, it's the, I think it's the most important thing to be focusing on, especially right now with all of the uncertainty in the world and anxiety that's happening. And um, it just has to be called out. So that's what mm-hmm. I did. Well, and I think, so for people listening, when they think of speech and language pathologists, I mean, most people think of, okay, articulation, they work with articulation, they work with receptive language issues, and they work with expressive language issues. And then for some that also are aware that um, speech and language paths also work with social pragmatics related to spectrum and, and other related issues. Um, but you go far beyond. I mean, so you, with zones of regulation, there's, 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 um, self-regulation. There's executive functioning. There's mindfulness. So, just so for people listening as they go to seek resources, how how much would you say that your model does fit the typical speech pra- uh, pathologist practitioner versus that you and your center has expanded the model? 
Yeah. So I think that what you said is that, you know, it's typical that speech and language pathologists are under the umbrella. Uh, we work with pragmatic language, which is just kind of the rules of language, um, <clears throat> which is like the code switching, taking turns, you know, that um, all the different intonation and all the different things, gestures, all that, that have to do with, um, you know, the skills involved. There's so much more, though. There's the perspective taking, which is the thinking of others stepping into somebody's shoes, realizing that they have different beliefs, different experiences than yours. Um, and there's the joint attention. There's the receptive and expressive language that you said. However, the emotional piece of it is so important because if you are dysregulated as an individual, a child, whoever, you're not able to then think clearly and be able to understand what's happening around you and even take in the the different nuances that are happening in milliseconds with people and situations to be able to execute on those skills. And so that is where the foundational, the bottom-up approach to social-emotional learning is what I talk about is it starts with, uh, you know, being able to regulate First of all, it's not even starting with being able to regulate. It's starting to be, be able to understand your sensations and how, you know, what that pit in your stomach really is. Is that hunger? Is that you need to go to the bathroom or is that anxiety? What is that? And then you have to relate that to an emotion and then you can um, relate it to if you need to do something about it in that situation to be able to meet your goals, which might be a social goal. It might be an academic goal. It might be something else. But um, there's that bottom-up approach. And so, you know, you mentioned our center. We used to have a center in Oakland, California, a multidisciplinary center where we had OTs, executive function coaches, speech therapists, and we ran a ton of social groups. And most of the kids were there because they were, some of them were just there because of the pragmatic language and the perspective taking. They really were able to regulate themselves emotionally, but they were just struggling to um, implement it into their lives uh, and think about others. But some were there, most of them were there because they were having uh, emotional regulation challenges. Mm -hmm. And that then disrupts their ability to execute on the skills that they might have or think about others or um, meet their goals in various social situations. So I, when I would interview speech therapists to work at the center, a lot of them would say like, well, you know, I work on pragmatic language, but uh, I refer out for behavior. If they're not ready to come to speech, then I, you know, I refer out psychologists or behavior consultants or whatnot. And I just, that wasn't a good fit for our model because you know, it really, there's so much that you can do in relationship to uh, helping with emotional intelligence, building emotional vocabulary, understanding emotions in yourself and others um, that relates to communication and social. And so mm -hmm. just taking a deeper approach, I just think it needs to be, we all are in this together. Yes, we all have our scope that we are experts in and we, we need to work as a team to support children and, and those with challenges in this area. But I really think it goes beyond just the basic social skills and pragmatic language. For sure. And it's, it's a holistic approach that you're describing. And, and I think, you know, we, we have all these disciplines out there. And I think what we're finding more and more as every, everything about brain, body, soul is, seems to be connected is that each, each professional just, it seems like goes through a different door. And hopefully people are working with professionals who take a holistic approach. So it's not just laser focused on one thing that's not connected to everything else. And so your point being like, how could you learn anything, speech, uh, language, pragmatics, uh, social skills, if you're not uh, 
first just regulated. <laughs> um, so essential. Yeah. And also too, you know, um, when you have lagging skills with, um, speech and language, social, whatever it might be, then you're, it affects your ability to communicate and interact. And you're going to have then probably maladaptive behaviors in these situations because you're going to get your needs met in ways that are not expected or comfortable for yourself or others. And that's what we talk about a lot in the field is I worked at a school for um, children with behavioral challenges and our model there was behavior is communication. And so I would work alongside the behavior uh, specialists to increase communication in whatever modality that is, whether that's speech or sign language or augmentative communication using pictures or devices, sign language, all of it, um, mm -hmm. to increase their communication so that then they wouldn't, because if, if not, they're just going to act out. If they're not getting the drink that they want or the food or the interaction they want, they're going to ask for it in a way that's not effective. And in this case, this school is harmful to others. But um, if we can in then increase their ways of communicating, whether they need a break or whatever that might be, then they're not going to act out in ways that can be mm -hmm. harmful or maladaptive or not effective. So again, it's, it's holistic is 100% accurate and our so our, our models or our, i say our philosophy as we've talked about a lot are are completely aligned in terms of um parents being aware being intentional about their parenting and uh so this dovetails nicely with your wise model so tell us about the wise model yeah, I love how you talk about purposeful parenting. And um, so what we came up with in our online course and community that I've developed with Dr. Rebecca Brandsetter is um, a model called the WISE model. And what we were doing for about a year and a half, we were kind of going through all of the different research-based, evidence-based, you know, practical activities that we've been using uh, not only with our clients and in the field, but with our own children. She has two younger daughters and I have two teenage boys. Um, and just sort of looking at everything and realizing that there are 10 universal brain-based strategies that can help with all with executive functioning, with social and emotional learning. And we put them together into a bottom-up approach and starting with the parent needing to take care of yourself. And in order to explain that, we also added in what we call the WISE model, which stands for wisdom, knowing what's going on with your child, um, where they might be having like uh, lagging skills or strengths or areas of challenges. And we have a, in that module, we talk, you know, strengths-based approach, but we, you know, identify where their child might be struggling and it can be kind of eye-opening to say like, wow, I didn't really realize that this is more of an executive function challenge than uh, a communication one or whatever it might be. So being wise about um, what's going on with your child, um, being intentional is the I, um, and that's just not saying, oh, they'll grow out of it. Um, and you know, everything's going to be okay. And just sort of being intentional with doing something and, um, gaining resources and knowledge for yourself for how to do that. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming in doing that. It can just be changing what you're doing in various situations, the words that you're doing, the affect that you're using, um, just realizing that situations are teachable and you can be intentional in those situations to teach your child the skills that they might need. Then the S is for self-care, which I think actually, the, you know, WISE doesn't start with an S, so it comes third, but I really think that has to come first and foremost and, and interwoven in all of it because parents need to be taking care of themselves with self-care and compassion. Mm -hmm. And um, if we're not, then, we're, you know, if we don't have water in our own pitcher, 
you know, filling up your own pitcher with self-care and compassion, then you're not able to pour in the cups around you, which are your children that you love so much. Um, so that has to happen. And then the everyday strategies, which is what my book is filled with over 200 everyday strategies. And, but a lot of times we all want to start with those magic strategies, those magic tips, but we really realize it's a bottom up approach that, um, has to have a foundation to support. And, um, and yes, 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 people, there are 200 activities in this book. There are a ton. Um, Elizabeth, you've mentioned bottom-up a few times. And for the listeners, please tell everyone what that um, professional term means. Yeah, so a lot of times we, like I said, we are looking for that magic bullet, that, you know, that magic strategy or tip or skill to teach your child. And, um, you know, that's great. They, they need to have skills. And we do teach a lot of cognitive-based skills and thinking and metacognition, all of that, um, in terms of thinking about thoughts and teaching them the skills, like when to look, when to give a high five, all those things. Um, but there's all, there's much more underneath that that we need to be focusing on, and that's what I sort of been alluding to all along is just that bottom up approach of focusing on um, the emotions and going even deeper and focusing on the sensations. So that's the thinking about um, the somebody who might be missing out on the internal clues their body is telling them uh, about how they might be feeling, um, and then matching that with the emotions that go along with those feelings and then thinking about the situation at hand. Do I need to modify these emotions and to have my output, my behavior be something that's going to help me achieve the goal in that moment or long-term. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we teach the skills and that's more of the top-down approach, but we want to be teaching that um, it's called interoception, understanding your internal feelings um, and sensations and then pairing that with emotions and then you can then build up because if a child and a, a person feels comfortable and is able to understand their own emotions and the emotions of others then they can flourish more with the um their what they can learn from their environment and the skills that they might already have or the skills they might need to attain mm -hmm. and and the key so it's in the title to make social and emotional learning stick the key is like how do we make this thing stick and um you know whether it's any kind of learning we're wanting our kids to internalize. And we know because of kids' different processing challenges, it's sometimes hard to encode these, uh, these messages, these behaviors, and make them stick. So how do people make these learnings, these lessons, these behaviors, this awareness stick? So what I've done is, I mean, first of all, uh, is I think that we do a lot of... Um, and I, you know, I wish I could go back in time, right, as a therapist and redo what I've done and what I've learned as well of, you know, teaching these skills from a top-down approach. And I think that a couple of ways to do it differently to make it stick is like thinking about the whole child, the whole family, and where, you know, we can really support strengths and, and you know, come from an acceptance, a compassion, an inclusion model, um, and um, build it around like a... Um, having the child feel really positive about the situations. But the other thing that is so helpful that I've found that helps to make it stick is to um, realize that we can take any situation that we're in, they're all learning experiences, and make it into an intentional 
lesson or, I mean, I don't even like to use the word lesson because it's supposed to be, you know, we want it to be fun and engaging and work from a place of connection and collaboration with our children, um, but turn it into a teachable moment is what I say. And so that way, you know, it's not like this sit down, you know, my kids have been in therapy for years and, you know, I had piles of um, worksheets and things that we were supposed to be doing and I always felt guilty about not you know, sitting down yeah, and having therapy right. at home, right? Yeah, right. Um, but then if I looked it over, I could say, you know, infuse those ideas into what I'm already doing with them, whether that's right, right now with my kids, you know, they're older, so they're in their rooms a lot. But um, I have, you know, they do play Pokemon and uh, we do hang out and watch TV together and we do have dinner together and we try to have nature activities together. So within those activities, I can pick and choose the things that I want to infuse um, to help build social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want you to tell everyone about your the acronym for STICK, but before, because um, it's really helpful in remembering the different steps. But before that, um, I know you're a big proponent of, as am I, of you know having these teach. There's always these teaching opportunities with our kids as we're parenting them. And as I was thinking about that, listening to you, I was remembering a recent conversation which I had with a good friend, and she was saying, you know what, she realized that something that was getting in the way of the relationship was she was like making every single moment a teaching moment. And she felt like it was overdone. So I'm wondering about, you know, the where's the balance? Or are there ways of making teaching moments without kids really knowing you're teaching them something again? I say yes, and, um, and absolutely. And I can tell a little story because in the book, I talk about this. So, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm a therapist and a mom working with children who have lagging skills in certain areas, and I'm trying to boost those skills. And so, you know, I have all the strategies in the world. And, um, you know, they, they were open to them. And they came to social groups and whatnot, when they were younger. And then as they got older, they started like slamming the door in my face, putting their hand up. And I started pushing even more like, well, research says blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, yeah. and I call myself in the book a strategy saleswoman. You know, and they were yeah. they were slamming the door in my face, and I yeah. and I, and I, in my blogs or before I've called myself a momathist. You know, so mm-hmm. that's where I you know when I when they really do need extra coaching, I I oftentimes have other people do that. But what I have focused on the most. And this is all part of social emotional learning anyway, because we're mirroring and modeling this. This is a huge part. Of, and I talk about it in the learning strategies in the back of the book, but um, is I focus on the connection piece. So I absolutely, your friend who was saying it can be too much, it absolutely can be too much. And we don't want to be constantly research says blah, blah, blah. Or every time they, you know, you're interacting with them, it's like, well, how did that make you feel? You know? Right. Um, right. So it's, you have to have a balance of that. And, you know, we do the, how I make a balance with that is I try to at least a few times a day have my boys are really into humor and, um, um, and just like little, like my older son really likes physical interaction. So we have this handshake that we do and we, we play like kick open side to side. Do you know what that is? Like where you're, you're holding hands and you, it's like this is a silly little dance that we do. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And just silly things like that um, can make the other things that you're doing um, not feel so they're just more receptive and open to it. And mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm talking about here is just like, um, you know, they're not like sit down, you know, 
even if sometimes our family meetings, our kids have been resistive to family meetings, but um, we can, you know, even just say, you know, when we're sitting at the dinner table, just say like, I, I will model it and just say like, oh, I had this really crazy thing happen today, which is my low, you know, and then I can say, but, you know, I also had this happen. Can you believe that? And then, and, and I can just ask, you know, how, how, how is everybody else's day? So I'm modeling the highs and the lows without them even knowing, mm-hmm. um, or, um, you know, when they walk into the kitchen, what's for dinner. And first of all, my kids are helping make dinner now or whatever. And, or I can do this. Um, I can walk into the t- kitchen and I can say like, uh, um, Oh, I smell, um, tomato sauce and I smell, well, I must be spaghetti for dinner as opposed to, you know, just answering what's for dinner and saying, Oh, spaghetti and meatballs. You can help them engage their prefrontal cortex, look around, make those guesses about what they see and smell, because that's also what's happening in social is they're looking around and they're observing and building awareness with attention. That's why the mindfulness is so important to make these inferences and guesses in milliseconds in social situations. Well, and it's and what you're saying, it's all really it's all about parents again being intentional, aware and intentional. And so someone comes in, what are we having? Spaghetti and meatballs or intentional, which does not really seem like they're they're not really gonna know necessarily it's a teaching uh, moment when you're just like, Hmm, I don't know. What do you smell? Exactly. Or, you know, um and, and it's it's a way of us again being aware. Um, and this does go to your, your, your stick model. So tell people about, because seeing is number one, and we have to be able to see what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you for rephrasing that, because that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, instead of a child walking in and asking what's for dinner, you can say, hmm, let's, let's make a guess. You know, what do you, what do you smell? What do you see? I mean, that can also feel like a teach, you know, too much of a lesson, but you can do it in a way that's fun, too, or mm-hmm. model, model it yourself, and then mm-hmm. they can follow along. So, yeah, so I... Um, when I do um, parent and, edu- and teacher trainings, I often talk about making it stick, and I talk a lot about social, um, and so it's making social learning stick. And so the acronym is the S is to see. So that's the awareness piece is to look around um, to make this, and we want to have that situational awareness um, to just bring that mindful attention to what's going on around them. Uh, that's a huge piece of it. And so in my book, I also talk about you know not just jumping into situations. Sometimes you can even just go, especially right now, like we can't interact with people as fluidly as we want to. So you can go to a park or you can go to a situation and just look and observe what's going on. Um, So just that's the seeing piece is observation. And then the, the T is the thinking. So that's like soaking it in and thinking about like what's the same or different in the situation than other situations and just, you know, taking the time to like, absorb it and um, process um, about what's going on. And then the interpret, that's the piece of understanding what the hidden rules, you know, the things that are, we take for granted, you know, and, you know, one um, uh, museum, it might be, a, you can touch the things, whereas, uh, ex, you know, exploratorium, you can touch and feel and whatever, whereas other places, like, you're going to have the security people come over and to just, like, interpret all of the hidden nuanced rules in various situations and what people are thinking and what the objects are, all those things that go into how you're going to interact. Um, and then the C is then take the C, the think that, in, that what you've interpreted, and then you can connect with the people in the situations and collaborate and communicate in 
um, the skills that you have. And then the, the K is the no piece, which is letting that sink in and, and put it into the, your working memory and your long-term memory to be able to use it again. You could reflect, how did that go? Um, and then maybe revise if it didn't go the way that you wanted it to. So it's just a, a nice way to put together all the things. It's very complex. And it so. is. It is really complex and it takes practice, but it's a really nice model for parents um, to think about, you know, how can they help their kids? Like, what are the steps in terms of their kid goes to a museum and just runs up, right, and touches something? It's like, okay, how do we back this thing up? Mm-hmm. You know, how do, we, how do we see? How do we look around? What do we think's going on here, right? How can we interpret the situation? How do we want to connect and interact with the environment? Um, and then what do we now, you know, know about the situation? It just takes like over and over and over. And obviously through your experience, it does eventually stick. Yeah. And that we can do that proactively. So you can do it beforehand, which is really, mm-hmm. really helpful. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about that in the book. About It's called priming, or I also can call it briefing, you know, like attorneys would do before they go into a court case, mm-hmm. is set your child up for success. Um, and, you know, these are the things that, like, you know, your ch- this, is, this is another piece of it, like, you know, that it being intentional. Like, when you're driving somewhere and you didn't tell your child that you're stopping to run an errand and they were hoping to get, you know, that ice cream, like in the next, like the stop was going to be the ice cream place and you have to pick up, you know, milk or dry cleaning or whatever. That's maybe why they're flipping out is because they weren't expecting that, but that's where you can prime them for what's happening um, next and stuff. So we definitely want to prime them ahead of time, but then you can also use the stick model um, afterwards to mm-hmm. do, uh, mm-hmm. do, do a debriefing or what we call a social autopsy or what did you see? what did you think? How'd you interpret that? Like maybe it's different how they interpreted versus you. And you can really spend a lot of time there and you mm-hmm. can also really figure out where they might be struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And, and a word I use also is front loading. Mm-hmm. Um, it's same, same thing as, as the briefing. Um, this this also impacts in a positive way impacts kids that experience anxiety and we know a lot of these kids that have um, regulation issues um, either primarily anxious or secondarily anxious because of some of the other challenges they experience so anxiety is really common um, for our neurodiverse kids and um, prepping ahead of time can be really helpful so what do you see with 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 anxiety in your work I see a lot of it, a lot of it. Um, and it's actually really interesting in my work, particularly because I do a lot of the perspective taking piece. And so um, it's it's really important to know where that anxiety is stemming from, which is, you know, I refer to you, Dan, for that and um, for the testing and the deeper dive. But um, once you can figure out where it's coming from, then you can support because sometimes it's the the lagging skills where they might need more expressive and receptive or um, social understanding of various situations to feel more comfortable in those situations. But you also have to be careful because um, if you give too much of the perspective taking end of it, um, then they can become hyper aware of the thoughts of others and get more anxious if it's, you know, genuine, like, cause I have worked with kids with selective mutism and, um, you know, I had a kid actually who came to me who was, um, they thought it was 
Asperger's back when it was called Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually selective mutism. And I did that differential diagnosis and then it was a whole different path of supporting mm-hmm. her. Um, so it's just important to figure out where it's stemming from and then go from there. And I will just give one more example of my son. So, um, my younger son, I mentioned to you, he has some anxiety and, um, you know, looked a lot like mom, can you, can you ask for me? Can you, can you order for me, mom? Um, I don't want to talk to that person and whatever else. And, uh, you know, I would always kind of coach him to, you know, help him. So he, I wouldn't be his crutch. I mean, I would, we want to scaffold and support our children without, you know, with anxiety, with the different ladders, we want to be able to not have them avoid situations either. But, you know, when he was working with his therapist, they wanted to do a little bit more testing. And I was like, yeah, you know, let's do it, go ahead. And, um, it turns out that he actually, I mentioned he has this discrepancy between verbal and nonverbal. And so he has quite a bit of word finding issues. Mm-hmm. So now we're focusing on trying to find a speech therapist that focuses on support with um, word finding, because I think that that's probably really hard for him to have that discrepancy because he knows what it should look like, but he can't come up with the words and mm-hmm. the language to get his you know needs and wants met, which then exacerbates the anxiety so it's just, it's really important to um again figure out what's going on and then support in that area and you can with with the pragmatic my point is with the pragmatic language and, and not pragmatic language as much as perspective taking um you got to be careful and not talking too much about how other people have thoughts about you and comfortable and uncomfortable feelings because that can be overwhelming mm-hmm. or when there's lagging skills mm-hmm well, and this is an example, like some of our kids, the lagging skills are pretty obvious, even if we don't necessarily know the cause, like it's kind of in our face. Mm-hmm. And then there's these other kids that are really higher functioning um, and they're compensating and they might be a little anxious. Um, they might, every once in a while, you're wondering, you know, why they're getting so emotional. Everything seems to be going great. And so what what can you tell us about these high functioning kids who have some of these underlying lagging skills that could you support and how do we recognize that well i think i mean that's my son like we, we were talking about yeah. and so in that particular situation in those particular situations i think it's just really important to you know see what's going on in the tip of the iceberg which you know for a lot of it it's it's either shut down um in our course we call that turtling where they you know they go into their turtle a little bit um or it's it can be more like you know overt big behaviors and um the porcupine what we, what we call them that's why we have a, the wise model because we all have to be wise owls yeah i wish i could put on my wise hat that i can show you with my wise owl um and then sort of um um figuring out where so you see that on the outside right and that's the tip of the iceberg the model the mm-hmm. iceberg theory and then you get curious with compassion leaning in and figuring out what's going on underneath that waterline. And that's where, you know, I have found even, you know, being a mammothist and, and being, you know, doing a lot of observation in my assessments, I still find that it's it's great to do go deeper and get an assessment either with the schools or with a private practitioner to find out what's going on and then you can work from there. And you also want to do this because you want to be focusing on a strengths-based approach. And so, you know, my son has a ton of strengths. And so we want to right. he, totally. you know, he's got this YouTube channel now where he's teaching people how to play Minecraft here and there. And he's um, awesome. editing out his brother swearing and all kinds of fun things. And so I found a therapist who's going to do some um, word finding language-based approach 
project through his projects, which is Minecraft. Um, and, and he's going to be thrilled. So instead of just like honing in, who wants to be talking about all the things that they're bad at? That's just going to exacerbate the anxiety. So, um, we want to be careful about that too. And so I just say, lean in, get curious, see what's going on on the outside. I was just talking to a mom yesterday. She's questioning, you know, is this typical? Is this not typical? And I'm like, She's, and I said, well, how long has it been thinking this? And you know, it's been going on for years now. And I'm like, okay, think about all the things that you've questioned and some of the teachers who've said things. And now you're on the phone with me, like follow your gut. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and your child is, is that gut reaction or that gut instinct is saying that something is needed here. Yeah. And you, you just made two very important points I'd like to reiterate. One is for parents to, um, you, you know, there's there's experts out there there's professionals out there and some of the stuff jives some of the stuff does not jive and no one knows their kids better uh, than parents do so really sometimes parents get uh, disempowered in the process of seeking professional help or listening uh, to educators and such and just know that you know trust as you said trust your instincts and if something doesn't feel right or it seems like it's there's more to the story trust yourself Secondly, um, the strength-based approach, because we know that the other thing that most professionals um, often are, you know, ch- focus on and are um, charged to look at is like, what's wrong and how do we fix what's wrong? And we talk about like, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what's wrong with your child, and like, we want to figure, we want to find out what's right with your child, and so we ne- we don't want to lose our perspective um, with just tons of problems, pathology, intervention, while while not continuing to focus on everything that is already right with your child, your child's strengths, your child's interests, your child's passions, and how do you feed those at least as much as working on the lagging skills? Absolutely. And I would say more than, or while you're doing that, you know, figuring out what um, are the things that are um, going well, um, and you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do, right? Because, you know, you have the, a child that might be acting out in various ways and that you have to address that. Um, and that usually relates to what they're struggling with. Um, but just really, you know, in the fields, we talk a lot about, you know, the five to one positive to negative, and that includes redirection. And I just say, so you know, I am talking to myself mm-hmm. because yeah. I struggle with this all the time, you know, especially now I have my kids at home and they're, um, we're doing, um, learning from home. And, um, I don't call it homeschooling because I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I yeah. commend all the homeschoolers out there. It's amazing. And I wish I could be one of them, but it's not my strength. And my kids, you know, teenage boys really resist it. So I have to figure out ways to support. And, um, but anyway, so I, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, that positive, um, you know, just even little things. I, I've, I've talked about this before, like when they were younger, it was really hard too. like, you know, it's put on your shoes, wipe your face, you know, all these different things. And then you know, like, you have to remember the positive stuff. So I, you know, how like, mm-hmm. um, there's a clicker, like, you know, with training approach. I mean, I don't like to use it because we're not training dogs. I'm not trying to say that at all, but I would remember like the little things about like, I would try to remember, um, when my kids put their seatbelt on and I would hear that click. Mm. to just say like, ah, nice putting your seatbelt on and being safe. And mm-hmm. then I would try to think of like little clicker activities like that throughout the day. Anytime they would do something or, you know, even if I helped them do some things like, like, wow, look at, you know, um, 
praising, yeah. the, praising the process and, and the, um, versus the outcome, of course, with the whole growth mindset, cause I have a fixed mindset in my house for sure. Um, but you know, just focusing on the things that they are doing, not the things that they're not doing. Awesome. All right, Elizabeth, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. You are a veteran. <laughs> and a and, and a and a very aware parent. So I know the hardest thing about this question for you is what to choose of all of the different options. Okay, so tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as a individual or as a parent, and this new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Um yeah, so I, I think before what I said, and I still would go back to it as the self care piece, but I'm gonna I, I'm gonna do it. And um, so part of self care is um, making sure that you're aware of the things that are really filling you up. Um, and you know, like uh, my my kids see me working a lot, especially now because we're all working from home, and um, and you know, they were, I think that they want to see that fun part of mom, you know, and like having a connected time. Mm -hmm. So there's two things I want to say about this. One is that they do see me do that. So we do, like I said, we have these little silly interactions and I try to, you know, come out in the kitchen and do a little, you know, um, don't worry, be happy dance or whatever it might be and try to engage them. Or if they don't feel like gauging with me, they can laugh at me because I'm like, oh my God, here goes mom dancing again, you know? And so um, I can let out or off that steam because I love to dance and um, and I love music and, and they do too. So they can then see me having fun and they can laugh at me or whatever, which is good for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, but then the other thing too, is I really all also need to let them know how much I love my work. Mm -hmm. and, and so they see me working a lot, but it's because I really love what I do. And I think that's also, you know, sometimes they say you work so much. And I'm like, yeah, but I love it. You just want to hear what happened today. And so that they then can have that memory, that knowledge, that work can, is, you can find your purpose in this world. And it can also be something that you enjoy. Uh, yes, yes, right. That that work is something that is not something you just have to drudge to and have to. And our kids are always they're always watching, they're always listening. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We our time is come. You know, I have so many more questions, but uh, we'll just have to do this again. Um, tell it. tell everyone um, where they can find your new book, where they can find your training, and all of your other wonderful resources. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Yeah, we could go on and on. We'll have to do it again. So um, the best place to find everything is on makesociallearningstick.com. Uh, so, and on there, on the Make Social Learning Stick website, there's a bunch of free stuff. There's a free calendar that you can download, and that puts you into my newsletter, which you'll get all the different things that I'm doing. I don't always share all the trainings that I'm doing, so that's on social media. Um Often I, there's so much that I don't, I don't get to put it out there, um, but there is a book page where you can find out all about the book. And there is a, um, a bonus on there when you buy the book to download. Um, there's also a free parent training on there. Um, how to parent a child who's sensitive, reactive, um, emotional, and still feel good at the end of the day. <laughs> don't we all need that? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's on there as well. And there's just, other free resources, blogs, and interviews that we mentioned before. So, 
Awesome. There, I mean, there's everyone. There's so much. There, there's so much information there. Um, so definitely check that out. Elizabeth, always great talking with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Always such a pleasure, Dan. And I'm just grateful for all the work that you're doing and that you have this platform to share with other parents. So I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Of course. All right, everyone. That's a wrap. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to focus on who you are. Focus on being the person that you want your child to become. They're always watching. They're always listening. They are taking it all in. Tell everyone about the show. Subscribe to the show. Help us spread the word. Our mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place. One parent and one child at a time. As always, I will leave you with this guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>